Welcome back to another installment of the Unskewed Weekly Review. I'm Smitty, and tonight we are discussing articles that we found over the last week that we found interesting. Before we get started, Goose, how has the past week treated you? Well, it's uh, it's been a big week, and I do want to you know start by saying you know I'm really glad to be to be back in here. the The past uh, I want to say the past four months have kind of been pretty freaking busy, man. You know. Absolutely, dude. Getting back, getting back to work after summer break, and and uh, and then getting back into school and coaching football, and and going to school as a student. You know, it was, it was it's been a really really hectic uh, three four months. So uh, I actually recently, have, as you as you know, as we talked about, I finished my second master's degree this past week. So um, I'm pretty excited about that. I. Today it was so weird. Today I I was I had this I I didn't have the Sunday scaries. It was some sort of scaries though. I couldn't yeah, yeah, yeah. put a yeah. finger on it, but it was like I had this feeling like there's something I should be doing right now, but uh, yeah, I I, I don't feeling. I don't know what it is. Like I I every morning like every Sunday I I get a sticky note out and I call it a uh, a Sunday list because Sunday is usually when I do all my get ready for the week stuff and things like that. Uh, and I wrote down like everything I needed to get done today. And some things were things that I really wanted to do, like cleaning the Traeger out so I could make some dank steaks for dinner. Uh, you know, uh, take, you know, taking care of Ralph, um, doing some laundry, shit like that. And it was weird because one thing, like I knew what it was, what that one thing was that I didn't put on the list was homework. Yeah. That's that like pretty much since January, the one consist like the Sunday list is never, it's never consistent except for homework. And this was the first Sunday where I woke up in the morning since January where I didn't write homework down as as something that I that I would needed to get done that day. So uh that was pretty interesting. It felt kind of weird. I was like doing like errands with my wife and it was like, man, I don't I don't need to do homework today. So uh that was pretty cool. It was kind of weird. Still still kind of stressing a little bit and I'm it's coming back now. I'm like, man, did I is there something I needed to do today and I'm gonna get to work tomorrow and be like crap, that's what I needed to do. But I, I think I'll be all right. But oh, it's probably, it's the, I remember when I was doing my MBA, it was that same thing. It was like on Sundays, Sundays were like whatever the MBA homework is, like get that done. And uh, I did the MBA online. Kind of, I think I think you did kind of some of your school online, right? All of it. Yeah. And you just get in that kind of phase where you're just like, oh, that's due. That's due. And I remember that like for a little while, it was like, okay, there's something I'm supposed to be doing. And it was like, no, you're you're done. So congratulations on getting that done, man. And yeah, Thanks, it's, man. it's good to be back. I'm. I'm really excited to be back at this again. Um, glad we've been, we haven't been like the most consistent, but we're just like sticking with it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of this. So let's keep it, keep it going. And, and if I see correctly, this is season two. Yeah. I mean, not like really season two. I feel like the first season was kind of just like messing around and I'm kind of hoping that this one, uh, we can put this on the Apple podcast if it, if it goes well. So this yeah. might be like our first, like, First, like out in the world one, which is super cool. I think we sound pretty darn good on the mics yeah. right now. Like I'm just and and also too, I, this format. It's uh, you know, I think we may need to suss it out a little bit more. But I, I like this format. We've tried. I've tried some different things, and it just seems like, 
yeah, this is something we can, I think, build a good foundation on. So without and further I, ado, I was oh, going to say too, before yeah. we get going there, yeah, before we get going, yeah, you know, these are, these are going to start being, uh, being on or in person. Yeah. Um, hopefully, hopefully. Yes. In, in time, in the very near future. Yep. So, uh, that is, that is something that I'm looking forward to get, get a bunch of dudes in a room talking yeah. about random stuff, you know, yep. doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I, I, I am excited for the future of where this goes. So hell um, yeah. Yeah. All right. You ready to get started? Oh, I'm, I'm always ready. All right. Let's get going. All right. Well, uh, I, I brought an article today. I, I it was kind of out of desperation because I, I saw like, you know, your article and you're like, that's kind of like kind of up your alley, but not really. It's not like pharmacy, but it's like medical stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you are a doctor technically. Um, I'm just a master. You're a doctor. But I, hey, it, you know, whatever. Uh, but so I, I just I, I kind of thought like, man, maybe I should look into like some special education news. But it was like. It was interesting, but it was it was nothing that I hadn't already like talked about before. It was like, oh well, there's there you know, students of color are identified for special education services at alarmingly higher rates than than white students. I'm like, okay, I've I've like written a paper. Not not that that's not a problem, you know. Yeah. But yep. You know it. I've written something about that at least two or three times since January. I'm like, I think I've said everything I can about that. Like, doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, it's a problem and, and maybe someday we can talk about it down the road, especially, you know, talking to somebody who doesn't really know about that, you know, maybe it makes things different, but I, I hit up the old Google search and I, I found a pretty interesting article, uh, in the New York times, and it's uh, written by a couple folks, uh, Mike Baker, Nicholas Burroughs, and Alana Marcus. And it's titled, Thousands of Teens Are Being Pushed Into Military's Junior ROTC. So before we get going, like, do you know, what do you know about, like, the ROTC or the JROTC? So like, isn't... Am I speaking a totally different language to you, like, if I say that? Yeah, or... yeah, yeah. This is, so, I, I mean, I... I am an Eagle Scout, so I know there's a lot of kids in my like Boy Scout troop that um they were kind of like interested in that stuff. Um I'm not did I I don't think our high school had a JROTC, did they? If they no. did, it was like two people, maybe. I don't, um, I don't think they did. I don't think they did. And I know that it's like ROTC's college, right? Is that mm-hmm. Yeah. And was 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 ROTC even stand so, for? So ROTC stands for Reserve Officers Training Corps. Okay. So it's like it's kind of it's an extension of of the the Army Reserves. Okay. Interesting, but it's for like young. So people, so right? J yeah so ROTC is generally on college campuses, okay. and then JROTC Junior ROTC is on high school campuses. Okay. Gotcha. So, uh, there's definitely some interesting things behind it. So, um, yeah. So, pretty much what's going on here. So here's here's the gist of the story. I I like I told you earlier, it it gives some good case studies, so they don't just say, oh, here's here's a problem, but we're not going to back. Like they did a really nice job of of finding evidence, uh, talking yeah. about it, and they did a nice job kind of going back and forth between the pros and cons of having JROTC on high school campuses. Uh, but the story here goes um, along these lines. So 
they they take it to Detroit and they kind of focused in on this student. Her name is Andrea Thomas, and she got to high school this year for her freshman year. And, you know, they hand out your schedule. You walk into school, your schedule is, you know, they, you say, Hey, I'm so-and-so and yeah. And okay, here's your schedule, blah, blah, blah. Got your courses on it, so on and so yep. forth. Yep. And so she gets to school her first day of freshman year and she sees a class that she's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, I, I don't recall sitting down with my counselor at the end of last year and forecasting this yeah. class like yeah what what is this and I, she she just never forecasted for it can you imagine that like you just show up to like your sophomore year of school and it's like oh i got this like class it's like and then you it's like i feel like there's some recruiter joke to be made there you know you know how like recruit like you hear the veterans always talk about oh the recruiter told me like this and this i feel like there's a recruiter joke like somewhere there's got i mean i'm sure we could probably ask we could probably ask brody about that he's he's got yeah he's got some good recruiter jokes um so anyway she asks somebody i don't know if it was an administrator or a teacher or a counselor some staff member she could have even asked the custodian for all we know and she finds out that she's been placed in a class called junior reserve officers training corps and the whole point of it is that, you know, it, it's taught by a, a veteran, a military veteran who's volunteered to do it. They're getting paid, but, you know, they've, that's yeah. what they want to do. And yeah. so pretty much it teaches discipline, leadership, civics. There's like some history stuff in there. And it opens the idea of a military career to youth. So it is widely viewed as a recruiting tool. Um. And so she finds out about this and she said to the principal or whoever was in charge of scheduling, usually that's like a vice principal or something in a bigger school. She goes and says, Hey, I never signed up for this. I want out. Like I want to take a class that I wanted to take. Like maybe she wanted to take like, I don't know, culinary class or something else like as her elective basket weaving. Yeah, I'll I'll look up the Detroit public schools uh, curriculum, see if basket weaving is there. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so um, the administrators come back and said, nope, it's mandatory. And, um, you know, JROTC, according to New York Times, says it's in about 3,500 high schools in the U.S., but it's supposed to be an elective course that you voluntarily sign up for. And the Pentagon has come out and said, like, this isn't our policy to require students to enroll, but it appears that thousands of public school students are being added to these courses without choosing to participate. Either it's like a requirement apparently by the school or it's just, it just happens, which is kind of weird. But the, the, the New York times got like 200 records requests and they show that dozens of schools made JROTC mandatory or forced 75% of students in a single grade to take the class. And most of these requests um, were in places like Detroit, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Oklahoma City. Um, I guess Mobile, Alabama made it to the list. And the article mentions some other states. 
Um, and one of the case studies that they end up doing actually was from the Portland area too, which is kind of interesting. Um, and the majority of the schools that are doing this have a, have a majority non-white student body or they're in low income neighborhoods. Um, I'm like, wow. I mean, that's kind of along the lines of what I was saying earlier about special education. It's like, those are kids that are just like over identified for things like this. And yeah. Yeah. And I know that in like when they were recruiting for Vietnam too, wasn't there some, there was definitely some like class, um, well, that was Vietnam wasn't recruiting when they were drafting for Vietnam. Wasn't there some like issues with like certain like areas being more selected for the draft than others? I mean, I don't. We yeah, have was, to look that up. But I I taught something about that when I was teaching history. Um, there was something about that too. It was you know you had to if you're going to college, if you could prove that you were a student at a university, yep. then yep. you got out. Like that's probably like what my dad and your dad probably because your dad wasn't in the service was he? no my my dad missed it i think he, he wasn't i think he was either too young to go to vietnam or he was he was in college it was one of one of the others but it, it was like vietnam ended like right i think it was right before he went to school like that all ended yeah i, th- I think my dad was he might have been too young too yeah i think our dads were like right at the right at the my, end yeah, i think my dad actually he was like at the very tail end of it. I forgot what year was that that they ended. It was like mid seventies. It was during the Nixon administration, if I yeah. remember correctly. So yep. I think my dad had turned eighteen during Vietnam, but he didn't. He had school as a crutch to not do it. So I mean, think about it this way. Granted, university was was cheaper back then and more accessible. So seventy five, nineteen seventy five um, is when Vietnam okay. ended. Yeah. Yep. So so my dad got out of that because he was a student but think about poor kids who didn't weren't going to college because they couldn't afford it i think that was kind of the the backbone of that but that's interesting because the next point that i have here is that historically speaking jro jrotc in schools was hotly debated especially during vietnam when protesters in opposition to the war saw this as a way to indoctrinate students to easily sign up for the military. Um, so, so that was kind of a point that was brought up there. So yeah, it was definitely interesting. You brought that point up. Um, and, and some of the parents that the, that they ended up interviewing said that they would have had no problem with their, with their kids signing up for that class. One of the people that they interviewed was a guy from Fort Myers, Florida. And he was like, Oh yeah. Like, my daughter's sister is in the Navy right now. Like, but she chose to do that. Yeah. And he's like, um, why, why would a school sign up my kid for something that was, that that's supposed to be voluntary. And, um, there's kind of that idea like, Oh, indoctrination again, or, Oh, you're poor. You have nothing else that's going to go on for you later down the road. You might as well join the military. Um, so the Pentagon again has kind of come out and said like, this isn't a recruitment tool. And I'm like, uh, bullshit. Like, come on now. Like, let, let's, let's not go that far, but makes you beg the question because the budget for JROTC is already $400 million every year. They want to expand that budget. 
Um, so uh, there's also a statistic in there that 44% of all current soldiers, um, whether, you know, officers or enlisted people participated in this program at some point in high school. And so kind of some like, like administrators are saying here that who, who embrace JROTC, they, they say it helps promote motivation to struggling kids, that it teaches discipline to kids with behavioral problems and it reduces student isolation. So there's like a group, like if there's a kid who just doesn't have a group that they feel part of, that's there for them as kind of a last resort, I would imagine. Um, and military officials are saying that students who participate in this class have higher attendance and graduation rates, and there's fewer disciplinary actions taken against them. But on the flip side, you know, folks are saying that, you know, it overemphasizes obedience and uh, over independence and critical thinking skills because it's like well you're in here this is what you do if you don't do it uh you're in trouble and uh some educators are also coming out and saying that they've seen like the textbooks that are used for this class and it kind of that kind of falsifies historical failures of the u.s government policy i think i saw something in there where it didn't it didn't glorify the trail of tears, but it, it minimized the impact that it had. Like there was no mention that native Americans were killed during that time or starved to death thing or died of illnesses incurred during that time. Um, and other people are also saying that being forced to participate in this class prevents students from considering other civilian roles like career education, college, things like that. Cause it's like, well, that's your, you know, you know how it goes when you're a freshman and sophomore, your, your, your options for electives are really low because there's yeah. such a, there's yep. such emphasis placed on core curriculum. So it's like, all right, well, say you've got six classes in a day, five of them are core classes and your one elective is JROTC. And if you're one of those kids who didn't choose that, you know, you're missing out on, on, something that you are interested in. What if you want to do art? What if you want to do music? What if you want to take culinary class? What if there's yeah. an introduction career technical education class that prepares you for a job down the road that you're interested in doing? Um, that's, that's gone. And there's also some information in there talking about how schools are using this as a financial incentive. So, so the schools don't actually pay the teachers that that teach these courses it's all subsidized by the department of defense and um schools are actually using it to save money so that they don't have to hire other elective teachers like pe teachers and health teachers and other positions so it's interesting that's kind of like the 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 gist of the informational part of it uh, and they, we can definitely explore some of the cases that, that are talked about and discussed in there, but just really interesting. I didn't realize that this is a problem. Yeah. It's, it's like, really interesting. Was, this is kind of a, kind of a diamond in the rough kind of article that I found. Cause it was, like I said, it was kind of a last ditch effort. And I was like, Oh shit, that's, this is kind of meaty here. Like, and there's so much information about how 
they they interviewed a guy who um who who teaches the classes um i'm trying to find it here um so yeah they go to this guy his name's william white and he's a retired army major and he's done this for years he's taught it in three states and he was talking about his time in florida where it was like the administrators are just constantly like hey keep the numbers up we need we need to keep these numbers high um and he ends up having kids who are in this class who hated it so much that they just refused to do anything in the class and he had some kids who had religious objections um and there was another guy here who um they forced freshmen in a school at Louisiana it says that kids were required to take the program in their freshman year to fulfill a physical education credit and then in their sophomore year to fulfill a health credit. So there's schools who are saying, eh, screw, screw those classes. You don't need them. We'll find a way to, to, to get the school board to agree that this counts for a PE and health credit. And it's like, dude, how would you feel if you had to miss PE class to go put on some uniform and march around and do all these things that you're like, I never even signed up for this. Well, I think that like, I'll say this, like a lot of the ROTC thing, there is a lot, there's definitely a physical like fitness component to it. Um, I think what just bothers me is it's like the schools using this to like fund other crap, you know, like that's what it's like, Ah, it's just like that's what kills me about it. It's like I'm I'm sure it's good and I think the uh so yeah, my two my two big takes on this are follow the money. Like it totally makes sense that the schools are using this to kind of inflate the budget a little bit. Um the army's getting like it's a forty four percent did it that's of the current milk. That's insane. Like that's that's such a good like pipeline for them. Um so it's a win win. I see their like side of it. But like the thing too is whenever you force someone to do something that once was volunteering, it's just not like it loses its uh uh it's uh like it, you're losing something there. And you know? it's, it's crazy that they're promoting this. Um and I saw the point made somewhere in the article, but I I kind of came to this before I even saw it. It was why would we be essentially conscripting kids when that's not the model of the United States armed forces we're we're a volunteer we have a volunteer military like yeah, that's why what makes why, so why, successful. like why are you, why would you why would you do something if if this is kind of imagine this is like a simulation that's kind of what i see it is like ROTC like or at least at the junior level in high school it's kind of like a simulation like this is what it could look like for you and I don't have any doubts that, like, if a kid did want to be in the military after high school, great training for him. Like, yeah. that kid already has kid kid who knows that he wants to do this or she wants to do this uh, from the start. Like, they have a step up on kid who has no direction in life and goes to the military because that's all that he or she has. To, to do like that is the one job that they can get after high school because they, you know, dicked around in, in high school and didn't do their stuff, you know, 
And, you know, I imagine basic training is difficult. I imagine I've never done it, obviously, but that kid has, has a leg up on those kids. So I see that, but yeah, you can't like, like what if a kid does want to do military, but doesn't as a career, but doesn't want to do ROTC that gives that kid might kid have, might have a, a bad taste in his mouth about joining the military. Cause it's like, Oh, I thought we we're volunteers. No, that's exact. And that's like, like for that's, I think so. I actually kind of have a personal example of this. So when I was in pharmacy school, there was like regular old pharmacy school. And then there was a, like, there's like extracurricular activities you could go do. So there's like the, um, you know, American society for hospital pharmacists. And you have the like student count, the pharmacy school, school pharmacy student council. And you have like, like other various like pharmacy based organizations you could do. And was really unfortunate to me so i was one of the kids that like stepped up and i was like hey like you know like i could be class president i was class president for a year um did some other stuff and i really enjoyed it but what made that special was like i had to go and do that myself like i had to volunteer do that well what happened when i left is they started making it mandatory that everyone had to do an extracurricular activity and i think that's a real detriment because you lose like Having someone who wants to do something versus someone that doesn't like is forced to do something, totally different quality in their in their work that they perform. And like that's the reason we have such a, I think, great armed forces right now is we have gone away from the draft model and we've gone from that like all voluntary force. I think that makes a huge, huge difference. Cause again, if someone's forced to do something, they're just not like you don't want to be there. Like you know, it's just not, it's not the same, but when someone like, is like, I want to do this and I want to be class president and I want to be involved, you get a totally higher quality of work. That's just, yeah, that's my, I mean, my, my sense on the you, matter. You can, you can look at it through all kinds of lenses. I mean, it's no wonder that, that the, the Soviet economy was never really that good during the cold war. You know, you're forcing like, okay, you're, you live here. So you do this and you live there. So you do that. And it's like, well, no wonder there's, only one pair of jeans on the rack at the department store because, well, people aren't really putting out as much effort to do it. And I mean, you even look at the places that do have like mandatory conscription, you know, at least in the Western world. I mean, you know, we had to talk to, you know, you met some people in Finland who were, you know, yeah. they had to be in the military at some point, but you have options. You know, you can, I think it's like the minimum requirement is like six months and or you can go for a year or you can go 18 months or you can even decide that hey i'm gonna make a career out of this yeah but i think even that still weeds out people who don't want to do it and obviously with a population that's much smaller you kind of don't really have a choice but even then it's like people are kind of proud of their military service over there because they think they did something to benefit their country and they had a choice to get out when they wanted to. But I don't know. I just, this is just. Yeah. It's just, I see the, I definitely see the, uh, I don't think this is a good thing. Like I just forcing kids to do JROTC to get in, in like, I, it makes sense. Like they're trying to get a better school budget. Like I understand their incentives um, for doing this, but I just think, again, it needs to be something they, they volunteer for. Yeah. Um, 
and and this is interesting. The the article does kind of continue to the uh, to the end. Um, that um, it it uh, brings up a, a classmate of of the the girl that that was that was brought up in the beginning of the story, and she's a lot older. Um, but she she's a couple years older. She was forced to do it, um, and she said that she'd changed her mind about how she felt about it, like she was forced to do it. Uh, her name's Azaria Terrell, and it says that, you know, she started making some good friends in that class, um, and that she appreciated her teacher's lessons about leadership and honesty. So I, I can see, like, the positives of taking oh, for that sure. class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's sad that, that she was forced to do it. It says that she actually stayed in for all four years by choice. And I think she, I, I would imagine that based on what she said about the lessons she learned, she probably had a really good teacher. No, it probably felt yep, bad because yep. like, wait, this kid didn't want to take this class, but Hey, if that's the case, I'm going to make it the best possible experience for this kid. Like I imagine that's why she stayed in for three more years after that. And she ended up being like a battalion commander or something like that in there, which I kind of find it funny being like, oh, it's just a kid in high school is a battalion commander. Like I was a battalion commander in my, our little mob in my neighborhood or something. But no, it's like, that's cool. And she said that she ended up going to college instead. Like she was like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to join the military, but that probably helped her. Like what if she didn't take that class? But it does kind of wrap up by saying, well, this actually goes back to her, her friend from, from the beginning of the article says that, you know, she never learned to like the class and she skipped it a lot. And she ended up actually failing that class. And it says she was put back in for her sophomore year. And, um, it sounded like a lot of like, recruiters ended up coming in and saying oh sign up for the military instead of you know doing something else so that you can go pay for college instead and um she she ended up like signing up for the military and then she ended up just going into healthcare. um i guess she was th i guess she this happened a few years ago for her she says that she's actually a freshman in college now so this was four years ago that it happened but um, the recruiter is still like trying to reach out to her and she's like, yeah, he still texts me to this day. So I do find it kind of, kind of, kind of bull crap that the Pentagon's like, Oh no, this isn't for recruiting. It's like, really, oh, how are you going to look recruiting. me in the face to yeah. say that? Like, that is exactly yeah. what it is. Like, how are you going to make a high school junior have a title of battalion commander when you ain't fighting anybody? Like you're not going anywhere. Like, I don't know. This is interesting. I it kind of blows my mind. It makes, me, it makes me think of all the other classes that kids are forced to. I mean, core curriculum. Yeah, yeah. it, it kind of makes you think more about that. If we would have had this at LaSalle, and it would have been presented in a good way, I think like I could see people signing up for this. Like I, I would, I would looked at it. I would looked at it hard, honestly. 
my mom would not have let me do this. Neither like, no, like seriously, like like imagine it. imagine if they go do like because I I've like heard so there's a there's like an ex Navy SEAL guy that I listen to a lot. His name's Jodko, and uh, he has like Navy SEAL guys on there. And like a classic recruiting thing is they have this like they used to have this thing called like Navy SEAL Weekend, and they would take like high school kids and they'd take them out to this like camp for like a week and they do like an all nighter one night to like represent like hell week of like seal. I'm not sure how familiar I was like seal training, but there's like hell week and uh, they'd have like an all nighter thing they do to kind of like simulate hell week. And then they like took them to go shoot guns. They were like, you know, just like doing like doing fun stuff. And like, if you, if you were out there and like doing fun stuff all the time, like you're on camping, you're like, you know, um, just kind of doing, and it's like, it kind of reminds me of my experience in the boy Scouts. Like, my Boy Scout crew, troop was like one of the most untraditional Boy Scout troops that I saw when I was in the Scouts, and it made it like I never felt like, oh, we're just like studying how to tie knots and stuff. Like, we're doing some like super fun stuff. Like, that's how I learned to go snowboarding. That's, um, I went windsurfing. You know, I did like, I did some really cool stuff. And I think if there was a JROTC and it was like, you know, just like, yeah, you had that military component to it, but it was actually teaching kids like life lessons and it looked cool. Like, I think a lot of people would sign up for it. But again, my biggest problem with this is forcing people to do like that is the whole idea. It needs to be a volunteer thing. It needs to be extra. You know, that's it's not it's not core curricular. It's extracurricular. So that's it's my just, two cents on it. It's it's kind of I'm trying to look through here. Um I'm trying to find and see like, and maybe they don't have it. Cause it's like, well, maybe they weren't able to get in touch with, with school districts about it. But what, why would, why would like, why? Like, like I'd love to be in the meeting room of a school board or an administrative team in a building and just be a fly on the wall and just listen to that conversation. Like as an administrator, what is going through your head that tells you, Oh, we need to make this mandatory it's budget. for students, but it's budget. There's that, but there's gotta be something else. I, I mean, I think it's I, just I, as I, simple as fall the money. It's, it's budget. It's like, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess so. I mean, seeing that part about where they're like, oh, well, we could hire a PE teacher or we could just hit up the DOD and be like, hey, pay for a teacher for us. But then in, in that sense, then you even start getting people who teach this class who don't want to do it. Think about the other side too. You know, you've got, imagine you got this class with a bunch of kids in it who never signed up for it in the first place. And then on top of that, You've got a teacher who, this guy, like this, this guy or gal could be anybody. Like, granted, they're in the military, but you know, like they don't want to be there. And and it's like, ma imagine the recruiter hits up a veteran who's literally just trying to enjoy life, and they're like, "Hey, uh, you want to teach to kids?" And we're like, "What?" And and imagine just the shit show that that might look like yeah just got a bunch of kids in there who don't want to be there never signed up for it have no idea what the hell it is they don't really care to know what it is and then you've got this guy who who could have a plethora of 
problems. Like, who knows if they're still recovered from their military service, you know, and, and, or, you know, I don't know. Just, just anything like, dude, you know what this reminds me of? Hmm. The, 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 the movie major pain. This Mm -hmm. is at, this is like, this is literally the major pain movie. Have you seen major pain? I have not. Okay. So it's like a 19, like early 1990s Disney movie. And I think it's, it's like, it's like a movie for kids, but basically there's this like, you know, like super special forces guy. And he like, for some reason he gets like out of the military and the only job he has is doing this like JROTC. And it's like, basically his interaction was, it's, it's a, it's a pretty funny movie. Um, but it's just like, and I think you'd laugh, you'd, you'd, you'd understand how comical this is. Like if you, um, saw the movie, but there's like one, one scene there where he's like, teaching him how to throw grenades and like, they're not supposed to be live grenades, but they end up being live grenades. And like, it's just like, just stuff like that. Like, yeah, no, you're, I, I, the, the, the non-volunteer part, that's again, that's what, that's what makes this kind of a, you know, that's what I don't appreciate about this. Like it needs to be a volunteer thing, you know? If that's what our military is, then, and this is funded by the military, it needs to be consistent across all levels. But yeah, I mean, I I guess the funding part. I mean, why would yeah. we pay? Why yep. would we pay an actual teacher to teach actual curriculum when we can just do this and save? I mean, depending on how many you know sections of this that you have going on, that's as opposed to having an experienced teacher who's been in the district forever. You know, that's ninety thousand dollars that you're saving right there. Yeah, I mean, that's and that all adds up. It all adds up and they can use that money for other things. And, um, but again, I just, it's like, this needs to be a volunteer thing. Like I yeah. am all, I think this is, I think this is great. I think it's a great program. It's like teaching not enough kids get taught leadership. It's, um, something that is, I think the, there's been studies done. I know when I was taking my MBA class, it was like the, the earlier kids get, find themselves in a leadership position, the better off they're going to be come in the future. And I, I, I am so thankful for my experiences in the Boy Scouts where I had to like, you know, I was like the senior patrol leader. So I was like in charge of the the Boy Scout troop. And that was, I really sucked. Like I was awful at one point (laughs) at it and I learned from my mistakes and I was like, and then I got like really good at it. And I, um, you know, it definitely helped me when I get put in a manager type role. Like I, I have been, you know, I'm not an official manager right now, but you know, like, it it was really helpful for me. So I, I think this is great, but again, it's like, it needs to be a volunteer thing. Like when someone's yeah. forced to be a manager, they are garbage. They are flaming hot garbage yeah. being a manager. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm all for the, again, the self self motivation, I think is, is really important. And it's like, it's, it's like that one girl that, you know, she got in, didn't want to do it, ended up being a good thing. But I think she's not necessarily an exception, but I'm sure there are just as many kids that get in there. They're not thrilled to be there. And again, that just distracts from the kids that want to be there. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. All right. Well, ready to change gears here. I, I am definitely uh, ready to, to change gears. Um, I think to, to, before we transition, uh, what, what'd you have for dinner tonight? I had uh, some, I had the classic chicken and rice. Nice. That's I like my go-to. Do. How'd you season the chicken? Teriyaki all the way. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, it's made, just so I made, healthy. I made some steaks tonight. Made made an extra one to take to work tomorrow. You making the steak sandwich? No, I'm I'm gonna take it with some leftover uh, mashed taters and some Ooh. roasted broccoli. Oh, very nice. Yeah, very nice. My my wife makes a pretty pretty mean broccoli. Um, pretty simple. It's just olive oil, salt, pepper, and Parmesan cheese sprinkled over the top. Bake it for like 15, 20 minutes. I'd, the, if that's all that there was left to eat in this world, I'd be fine with that. The best things are the simplest things. Like yeah. the, the simple, like when you have a simple way of doing something that's generally speaking, that's infinitely better than this like super complex, like, Oh, we got to marinate it for, you know, six hours and 37 minutes under a full moon. And then we have to like, I mean, I appreciate those things and when they can be done well, it's really impressive usually, but honestly, the simplest, like, just marinate it, throw it on the barbecue, you know, that type of stuff. It's just, mm, that, for me, that's yeah. always like, and you have quality ingredients. You need, that's the other common, you need quality ingredients yeah. with the simplicity. It's, it's always the best way to go, in my opinion. Word. Well, so my article tonight, I picked uh, genetic variants that offered protection during Black Death are also associated with current autoimmune disorders. Interesting. Yeah, so... I found this article under Google News Science section. I, Google News is a great way just to like, I think, find stuff that's like kind of off the beaten path. Not the main like digestion of it, but when you get into the like more subcategories and smaller stuff, it's like, oh, there's some like really cool stuff here. Um, anyway, so that directed me to this website called NeuroscienceNews.com, and that was just a cool website. I was like, wow, there's a lot. There's a lot of cool stuff here. And the article is written. Understand absolutely nothing that's on there. You'd be surprised. I and well, and maybe you wouldn't, but like a lot of the stuff with science is, it's a really and and kind of when we start discussing my article here, it's going to make complete sense to you once you get past the big science words. Honestly, it's like it's like the pro, a lot of the processes and like what they're coming up with. It's like if you can put it in a real lay person's way of thinking about it, it's like oh no duh, like obviously that's the way you do it. It's just they have a lot of complex words and and ways of talking about it but the uh article is written by the university of illinois press office and it was on a study that kind of dealt with this topic called evolution of immune genes is associated with the black death so i've always been interested in kind of how things adapt and evolve over time and you know whether it's you know like faintly like when i was you know senior patrol leader and sucked and then i figured out how to get better it's like that's it's like kind of interesting, like, and it's just interesting how there's like environmental pressures on life and that forces them to change and adapt. And what's really cool about nowadays is between genetics and the historical record, gosh, we have like a plethora of information about these types of changes that happen. And we can actually see like things in the modern day that are occurring. And we can look back at our recent history of, you know, a thousand years ago in this case, but 3,000 years ago and, and, and just different and see how things have changed. And, and even in that short time, just like looking at like, oh, this, this is what this caused this to happen. And this, this made this happen. Um, there are a couple instances that when I first read this, the headline, there are two like things that kind of came to my mind. Are you familiar with uh, sickle cell anemia at all? You know uh, what that is? Yes. Uh, you know, where, where the, instead of your, your blood cells being, shaped like perfect little circles they're yeah they're they're shaped like a like a crescent moon almost 
Yeah. So what's interesting is that is theorized as actually there's some evolutionary benefits to that, believe it or not. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we have. It's it's something that again, it interests me. I love talking about it. But basically, when you have a combination of sickle cell genes and non-sickle cell genes, it gives you this really good advantage of fighting malaria because the malaria um, parasites, they need nice red blood cells to attach to. And when you have sickle cells, it makes it really difficult for the parasite to get anything off of that. And so it's people that have this combination of, you know, sickle cell and non-sickle cell, they do really well when they're infected with malaria, but people that have just sickle cell, it's like, that's, that's problematic. And people that have like fully normal red blood cells, that's also can be problematic too, because you're going to get hit really hard with malaria. So I thought, I always think that's interesting. And then another super interesting, like kind of evolution thing that's taken place. And this has been within the last 3000 years. So that's kind of crazy to think about like, okay, I know that it's like hard for us to kind of conceptualize, but 3000 years in the span of like the universe is like nothing. Like um, not even one minute. Yeah. And basically people in Tibet, they have an increased lung capacity compared to people that live around them. And this is a change that happened. Like this only happened 3000 years ago. This is really when it started to occur. And what's kind of like morbid about this topic though, is there was a decent amount of people that probably had to die for this to occur. And that's like one thing that's kind of interesting with these, like these selective pressures. And this is why uh, pandemics, uh, especially like the black plague, uh, or the Black Death. Black Plague. Black Plague. Uh, Black Death. They Black. really uh, force the, the people that can survive it. It like creates a, you know, kind of a bottleneck in, in the gene, so to speak. And so you see these like selective pressures. It causes drastic changes. So when like a lot of people die off, the people that can make it through that, they're going to, their genes are going to really propagate forward. And that's what we kind of see in this article here. So what do you know about the Black Death? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I know, I'm sure what I know is, is nothing compared to, to a historian in, in that, of that category. Uh, yeah. but you know, it pretty much the gist of what I know is, you know, there's, there's starting to become this sense of globalism in the, in the middle, the late middle ages, Renaissance time. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the Silk Road has been established and, you know, Marco Polo has gone to China and now Italy has noodles because of that and things like that. And we have, you know, international trade is, or I should say transnational because it wasn't really international yet, but, you know, some of these boats from, from China, I guess, or from, from, you know, the far East as, as somebody might say, start having these rat uh that are carrying this uh this it's a virus isn't it it's a it's a bacteria actually bacterial infection okay so they they bring this back to to italy and europe and whatnot and next thing you know people are just like dying on the spot and yep literally everybody's dying and, and it doesn't help that there's you know there's there's raw sewage flowing through the streets because there's no such thing as a sewer yet, and and uh, which is interesting because you know most major Western cities didn't even have sewage systems until the early 20th century. So so kind of interesting that this didn't continue longer than it did. Uh, but so that's a side story. But um, 
then, you know, you start getting into, um, you know, people blaming because, you know, people didn't have the, the critical thinking skills back then that we can have now should we choose to develop them. And, you know, they start blaming it on the Jews and they start going around and saying, oh, it was those guys that don't really live in our town, but they live just outside and they're concocting stuff and putting it in the water. Like, I, I actually teach about that. Well, used to when I was a history teacher. Um, and, you know, you teach kids about the roots of anti-Semitism. You know, it clearly goes back to the death of Christ, but you have this kind of silent period um, between, you know, that. I mean, not that it wasn't happening, but then, there, you know, the story gets kind of old. It's like, okay, we can't continue blaming Jews for the death of Christ. Oh, hey, there's this this disease going and we saw this Jewish guy hanging around the well that didn't belong to his town and he was doing something and they were probably concocting stuff back there and oh that's the guy causing the pest and if I if I remember correctly I kind of lost my, my my train of thought here but um you know they end up you know when the Nazis start coming coming into existence you know they they're they used like the death of Christ and and the Black Death as wow. like some some big like teaching points like hey here's these two big things that the Jews did and that's why we don't like them so that's kind of the lens that I that I teach that I've taught about it from so that's what I know no I'm I'm glad you had that intro because like I didn't realize. I, that the Black Death has had, I, and and that's why I think I, I kind of after reading this article, it's like the impact of this is is drastic and massive. It's, it's um, more of it's more of a social thing that that they're thinking about here. I mean, you even have um, Martin Luther actually was a really big um, proponent of the idea that the Jews caused the the Black Plague. Like, interesting, yeah. Yeah, he had some really interesting, not interesting, but kind of more scary things to say. And like, I think the Lutheran Church has denounced those teachings. I, I would imagine. I'm sure, so they have. Yeah, they're they're yeah. seen as a little more progressive than than the Catholics are. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I can tell you about it. So, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, so what's crazy is there's been actually three major plagues of bubonic plague throughout history um the first one was the justinian plague or plague of justinian and this happened in the eastern roman empire and they killed about 50 million people Jesus. which was 20 it was like depending on the estimates that was 13 to 26 percent of the entire world's population which is that's insane this is like hard it's like hard to wrap and and there's more numbers here but it's just hard to kind of wrap my head around like okay so one of every four people died from this yeah and then the Black Death, which is the the I think the most famous one. Um, this is the you know the Middle Age, the the early Renaissance one. Seventy five to two hundred million people died, which was sixty percent of the European population at the time. That's the high the high estimate is sixty percent. Low estimates like twenty five percent. But it was interesting because I when I started doing some more research on this, it was like there was apparently towns in like France that disappeared, and they only found them in World War One after they were like they developed reconnaissance aircraft like they just vanished mm. like everyone in the town just like died it was just it, it was crazy to me that it's like this this thing had a massive impact on 
society going forward. And it, it's just, it, yeah. And then the third pandemic, which, which was also called the modern plague. Um, this happened in China in 1855 and about 25 million people died. Um, so again, just millions and millions of people have died from this. And there's been talk that this was the closest that humans came to becoming extinct. Was this, this bacteria, the third one, but the third, the third one here that you have, or no, like, just, or in, just general. in general, in general, black, uh, black death is like, it's, it's a very difficult bacteria, um, to, to deal with. Luckily nowadays we have like modern antibiotics can pretty much take care of it. And the good news is it doesn't really show, I don't think there's evidence of it evolving and getting antibiotic resistance. If it did, that'd be like devastating. But, um, for now it's, it's pretty well controlled, but again, this, the black death in Europe had a massive impact on who is around today. So when I started getting in the article, it said that basically they found that certain genes led to a 40% better survival rate than people that didn't have, um, those genes when taking on the, the infection. And what's interesting is those same genes led to an increased likelihood for other autoimmune diseases. So what was also really cool about this study is a bunch of different scientists had to get together to work on this because not only do they need the genetic, you know, kind of side of things, they need the historical, like what actually was like, what's the historical record? And then they also needed like medical professionals too. Um, so Louis Barrero, he was a professor of medicine at the University of Chicago. Um, Hen Hendrik Poinar, uh, professor of anthropology. Um, Javier Pizarro Cerda, he was the head of the World Health Organization for uh, Usernia Pestis, which is the official name for uh, plague or black death. Um, it still occurs in the world today. It's a kind of a natural occurring disease in the United States, Africa, so they keep, they keep China. Fighting. They keep finding uh, squirrels in what Colorado or something. Yeah. That yep. That are carrying it. Yep. It's like small mammals carry it, and next thing like, you know, we're going to be doing what China did in the uh, in the the Great Leap Forward. They they started killing the sparrows because they said the sparrows were destroying the crops, but then instead the the bugs destroyed the crops because the sparrows were not there to eat them. Sorry, side story. No, no, it's, I mean, it's, th that's actually, that's a really good point you make. Um, well, well, that's kind of like my big takeaway for this article, but, and this team was led by a graduate student and uh, named Jennifer Clunk and Taurus Vilgalis, um, also a postdoc fellow. So was, I just thought it was cool. It was like, here's these like, kind of like, random profession professions all working together and they're figuring out like, Hey, what, what's the impact of this? Um, so this is how they perform the study. So they took samples, DNA samples from basically deceased persons from London and Denmark, from people who died before during and after the pandemic. And basically what they kind of assumed was we'll, we'll analyze all these genes and then we will get some different, like we'll figure out like, what genes were surviving, and we'll we'll take a look at those. How are they storing these these bot? Like, how do they have bodies from them? Like, so I mean, if you have someone that's like, I I know, like in Europe, they just keep there's like, isn't there's there's cemeteries that are like, like hundreds of years old, right? Yeah, I mean, I know that there's like crypts and things like that, and you know, um, yeah, you know, underground. What are, what are those things called? That's like underneath the Sistine Chapel in Rome, and there's like 
I keep forgetting what it's some big fancy book word, but it's I like guess mausoleum. No, no, that's some different. That's like a mausoleums are for ashes, I believe. Um, God, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the word right now. Anyway, go ahead. I don't want to. There, no, there, there's places where you can go where there's like skeletons somehow preserved, crypts, right? Crypts, or there's some other fancier word. Maybe that is the right word. I don't know. But no, I mean, so they basically have they know where these there's bodies at, and so what they did is they take DNA samples from these bodies from the three different points of time, and then they genetically sequence the genes, and then they compare the genes from the people before the plague, during the plague, and after the plague. And sure enough, they found that there was some variations um, and some kind of patterns also in the various genes they analyzed. So what they kind of found was there were four specific gene um, loci, which is basically a loci is a specific point on a chromosome that like we know does something. It's like a specific like you can look on a chromosome and it's like, oh, this does this, this does that. Um, and so they found two, two of them really stood out. And the first one was called ERAP2. And, ERAP. ERAP. And that encodes for endoplasmic reticulum aminopeptidase 2. Um, ah. Yeah. So what this, what this protein does is it's an enzyme involved in antigen presenting cells. So basically the way your immune system kind of like roughly works is you, let's say you get, um, like you get, you get the cold, right? Your body basically is going to, it's going to attack the cold and then it's going to take a little like piece of the, you know, the virus or whatever it has. And then it's going to take that to, um, another cell and it's just, it's going to start like figuring out like, okay, this is like, this is what I need to attack. Um, basically so what what happened here is this antigen presenting cell um is going to go to it's going to find the foreign cell or in this case the plague and then it's going to call the pipetter cells to go take care of business it's kind of how i i like to think of it and then the other um loci that stood out was it's called tycam2 um which encodes for uh receptor TLL4 which is used in basically identifying gram-negative bacteria, which plague is, it's a gram-negative bacteria. Um, and I think one thing that is really interesting about plague is that what makes it so deadly is it's really sneaky. And basically what it can do is it, it once you get infected with it, it hides in your immune cells mm. and in your lymph nodes. And that's how you get the the buboes or the, when they like you see people that have plague there they have these like swollen lumps all over them that's that's basically the infection in their lymph nodes and it hijacks your immune system and it that's how it replicates and proliferates throughout your body and that's what makes it so dangerous is that the thing that's supposed to be fine it off is actually turning against you so what was really cool too so they so first they like they figure out like okay these people who survived or like you know are more represented now in the population what did these things actually do? So what they did is they found individuals with different um, variants of expression from these two genes, and they took blood samples from them, and they they got their monocytes out. Monocytes are like kind of they're like baby immune ce- immune cells, immune system cells, and what they did is they created macrophages out of them. And macrophages are the like 
kind of the pipe hitting cells. They're like the, they eat the like bad stuff and they break it apart. And what they did is when they, when people that had the genes that were expressed more in the survivors than the people that had died off, those genes, the people that had those genes, they fought off the plague better in the lab. So I just thought that was like, kind of that was i thought it was pretty clever and cool they kind of like you know they found it through the historical record and then they tried out in the lab they did the same thing and then what they found at the end was that well they already kind of knew this but these genes lead to an increased chance of autoimmune disorders like crohn's disease uh psoriasis inkling spondylitis just to name a few um and kind of the basis for autoimmune diseases is kind of like, I like to think of it as like, uh, so you know in the Terminator movie when Skynet kind of becomes self-aware? That's kind of what happens in, and when you have an immune, an autoimmune disorder is your immune system gets like hyper-aware and then starts just like killing off like something that's not supposed to do. So Killing everything. Killing everything. And, and so in like, in Crohn's disease, it's kind of like, it's your gut usually, um, yep. psoriasis, it's like your, your skin. Um, and then inkling spondylitis is basically the, it's like your spine starts to like fuse together of sorts. And it's just a real, like your spine gets like really like supposed to be flexible and and then it stops. Yeah. And again, that's just like, it makes sense to me because it's like these genes, they make your immune system more sensitive. And obviously that makes you better at fighting off things, but they, they have like some drawbacks to it. And that was kind of like my big takeaway for the articles. Like everything has a function and a reason. And there's usually like a cost benefit um, to everything. And it's kind of like, you know, this, talking about the sparrows, when you were talking about how in China, they're like, oh, we're going to kill off all the sparrows. It's like, no, the sparrows had their purpose. Like they had their purpose. They're keeping the bugs at bay. And the minute you kill off all the sparrows, you know, what you're going to, you know, fuck around and find out, so to speak. So. That's interesting to to think about. Like, I I I like this. Uh, it's it's this this thing. It's like, oh, you had this this good thing in you that was keeping you alive during potentially the worst thing that's ever happened to the world. Yeah. Yet your guts are going to rot out from underneath you at some point. Like I couldn't imagine, I mean, I could never imagine having Crohn's disease now. And, and we, we, we think it's like, you know, this terrible thing, which it is. Um, and there's all these treatments for it, but imagine being somebody like that, like back then, like, yeah, well, I think what I think did lot, Crohn's disease look like back then? Like, a lot of people didn't live. So what's what's really interesting about these, like, also late in life diseases, and Crohn's disease isn't one of them, but because um, I think that uh, that can appear relatively early on, but a lot of them, it's like it you you're able to reproduce before you find out you have it, and so it's like kind of a weird like, you know, this is weird. It's this weird thing where it gets, it gets passed on kind of like, you know, unknowingly. And that's like what, one thing that's kind of interesting to think about too, is like, like cancer is a relative, I mean, I know people throughout history have always died of cancer, but recently now that people live so long, it's like, that's, you know, you're not dying from, Oh, I cut my hand. I got an infection. Now I'm dead. Like that doesn't happen anymore. Um, but no, I, I don't know what they did for like, 
when you had an autoimmune disorder back in the day, I, I don't know. I think they, but, but honestly, the treatments for a lot of those hasn't moved. We're, we're definitely getting better at them, but it's not like we can cure people to have them. It's a really difficult thing to treat. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these, these are things people live with. Like you're just going to yeah. have to learn to live with it. Like yep. back to your adaptation thing. Like you have to, you have to adapt to it. And some of that's, you know, stuff that you can control, but others it's like, you know, your body's going to have to just figure it out and you're going to have to figure it out with your body. And, you know, I, I wish I were a little smarter in this, in this sense here, but, but I guess that's why we, why we, why we have you. Um, but this, uh, this thing that you put here that says that the gene, there's a theory that genes helped you survive would be more present in the time after blind. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Like that, that adaptation piece, like it's crazy what our bodies can do. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, it's, it's super interesting. Is that what, like did genetics save the human race? Like, absolutely. Absolutely. that's, That's just, that's, that's just mind boggling. Like my, my brain is my, I feel like my head is opening up right now and I'm not even like doing anything to make that happen right now. Like, I don't no, know shit about genetics, so but, but cool. this, is, this is interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a totally interesting thing about is like, is like all the things that happened to get you here and like, all like the somebody random... had developed that at some point in my family. Cause my yep. family, I mean, you have your family, obviously yep. your lineage is mostly European minds, like 99.5% European. Like, well, and it wasn't, wait, wasn't, um, was it small? It was smallpox that killed off a lot of the Native Americans, right? It wasn't. Yes. Plague. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was smallpox. That would be another thing to interesting thing to look at too, because I know one thing that I when I did more research too, it's like a lot of you know Americans with Na- European ancestry, they're able to fight off plague really well, and that makes a lot of sense based on you know this article. It's like the survivors of plague, they reproduced. And they spread on the, you know, the genes for fighting off plague. Yeah. Like, cause I, I've always, I've always wondered, you know, cause when you learn about this in like high school history class, they don't really, like, I couldn't tell you what my, whatever world history teacher would it like that this never was explained. It's like, Oh, well the plague happened for four years and yeah. then it just went away. Like, yeah, no, that's like, yep. Like, yeah, like that's that's kind of like what we're told. It's like, oh yeah, and then now we are at the Renaissance. I'm like, oh, so people died and they had a Renaissance. I'm like, no, like, I mean, I'm sure it had something to do with that, but it's like, I've always kind of wondered, and this is like a thought that I have probably like once every two years. It's like, what, where, what happened to the plague? And it's like, oh, it's just genetic modification yeah that it's forced it's forced yep yep just that's it, it just happened yeah like pretty much plain simple it just happened and well and, and that's only a few things in the, in the world in the history that you can say it just happened and there there's no i mean obviously there's a way to explain it here but if you want to go for the simple explanation if you really want to go into lay people's terms it just happened and it's it's hard to wrap your mind around it, but some things you just have to accept that they just happened. Yeah. 
that's that's that blows my mind. So one of the follow-up questions I had from this is like, what's something that in your own personal life you felt was negative, but you eventually embraced it for a positive? Man, I feel like it, it's it's something that's always like so easy for me to jump on. And, and I know our buddies would, you know, they'd give me a lot of shit for saying this and there's like, Oh, you're just saying that because, because you love Europe. But I hated, I I don't always tell a lot of people, maybe I do tell a lot of people this, but my first month playing football in Finland. Yeah. I hated it. Interesting. Like absolutely hated it. Like I actually called my dad one day and told him, I want to come home. Like, this place fucking sucks. I know we're trying to keep the, keep the, like, keep, keep the swearing uh, minimal. No, I think swear, swearing's there, okay. But, swearing's okay. Yeah. But it, yeah. it shouldn't be in every sentence. But no, I told my dad, ideal, like, yeah. I, I told my dad, I said, I fucking hate this place. Yeah. Like, there's nothing to do here. There's, you know, pretty much everything, everything, like, my, every day is the same. It's stay up all night watching Netflix or something. Wake up at like nine thirty. Go to the gym at ten. Go eat lunch. Come back to the place. Figure out something to do until practice at like five o'clock. Go to practice and then like do it all over again. And every now and then, maybe it's. Oh hey, so and so is having a party at their place. Or hey, let's go out to the let's. It's you know it's we got the night off. We don't have anything tomorrow. Let's go to the club. Like there are a couple times that sprinkled in, but I I told my dad I hated it, and he's like, well, you know, you need to you need to look into your resources that you have here. Like, is there anybody there that you know you could call right now and they would they'd help you out. And that's where we get our boy posse into the situation. And Hell yeah. now it's like, if I go to Europe and I don't go to Finland, like I, I, I did myself an injustice. Like I could get away with not going to Austria. I could get away with not really spending any time in Germany. Like, and it's nothing against my good friends in Austria. It's just, you know, the the connection that I have with with the people there in Finland, it's like those some of the, the some of those people have kind of turned into my like no questions asked people. Yeah, like I can see that if I if I told Posse I had a no questions asked, he'd be like, "All right, I'm telling my boss to to f off, and I'm I'm coming I'm coming over. I'll be there. Or get your get your butt over here. We'll figure it out. You know." That that that's I that's the easiest connection I have to make to that question. Yeah. Um. You know, I I would also say you know maybe the the one year that I worked not as a teacher but working in the library at my the middle school that I taught at for my first year. Definitely negative. Took a big pay cut. Um. Was not teaching, and I I was I was doing grunt work. Again, and I was like, man, I went to all these years of, I went to two years of teaching school, 
I got a year of teaching under my belt. It should have been a gateway into getting a full-time job and, and it didn't happen, but I was still able to do all the same things that I did with, you know, interacting with people and, and working with kids, you know, I would say that one too. So. Yeah, no, those are both that, that was kind of the the whole point of the question was like, it doesn't like, I appreciate the, just the kind of the off the wallness, but I think, uh, mine would be pretty similar to yours. I mean, I think the, the first one was probably, I think my favorite one was like knocking into pharmacy school the first time I applied. That was like one of the best things that happened to me. Um, like that was just a year you and me spent like hanging out all the time, drinking, like living my life. Like, yeah, I kind of stuck not getting to pharmacy school, but then I got a job that was like in pharmacy and just, I learned a lot and it was like, yeah, this is, this is what I want to go do. And it was just so cool having that, like just kind of a breather, just like sit back and look at everything. And, um, yeah, it was just, that was, that was really good. You know, and then I think another thing like, um, just like kind of when I like make a mistake or I fail at something, it's like super, like it sucks in the moment, but it's like, God, you learn a lot from those things. You know, failure is the best teacher. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really all in just what you make it. You Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that age old quotation, you know, some people say Eisenhower said it. Some people say that, you know, whatever leader from world war two said, Hey, you get knocked down. You can, I, th- I think the way Eisenhower said it was like, it's okay to, to fail and it's okay to, to, to feel down for yourself. But it's like, at some point you gotta, you gotta wake yourself up. You gotta be so, like, all right. Like, yep. like if you're going to be successful, that's all about what you do. And, yep. and you can't sit there and, and pout about it. Like if you're, if it's still a week after and you're still sitting there pouting about it, you need to get some help. Like, you got to be able to self start. And I think, I think, you know, I've, I'm trying to, you know, I guess this has nothing to do with genetics or junior ROTC, but you know, you got to appreciate those times and it's okay to, to step back a little bit. Like I always remember when I was, you know, out of college or whatever, or, or even there's, or like going to college and it was like, there's people after high school who took like what the gap year or whatever they called it, where they just kind of took a year to, took a year to, 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 to just get themselves together, you know, and, and maybe take a little bit of time to, to think about what they're really interested in. And, and, you know, I, I've come to respect that now. Like, it's okay to do that. I had a year like that. It just didn't happen right after high school. Like, it happened in 2017 and here we are now we we both got relatively where we want to be we maybe didn't know that this is where we wanted to be you know 5 years ago sitting on on a couch that was stacked on a table in Corvallis somewhere to make it seem like we were sitting in a stadium watching a basketball game but we we all needed, everybody needs just to step back from time to time. Oh, I totally and, agree with that. And it's okay to pause things. Like if, if, if you know that there's something that you're not going to be able to accomplish it right away, it's okay to process that. And it's kind of a good counter to the, you know, the consistent, I want it now. It needs to be done. 
right now. I want to be making a million bucks right now. And you have to work for that. Yeah. Like unless, unless, unless you got, unless you got daddy's money, which most people don't, you gotta, you gotta work for it. And that looks different for everybody. And sometimes that means just changing and adapting and, and, and just looking at the big picture. Cause when you're, when you're forcing yourself to do things that aren't making you better and, and change for the better, like you're not going to have time to, to learn those lessons. And I've had moments like that. So yeah, that's where I stand on that. Yeah. That's, I think that's a, that's a good way to kind of wrap things up. Just like, you know, adapt and like embrace the suck. Yeah. And I mean, we even saw it in the, in the JROTC yeah. thing. Like, yeah, I mean, Absolutely. it sounds terrible. It yeah. sounds terrible, but the one kid was like, you know what? I don't like this right now, but I'll, I guess I'll give it a chance. I'm not going to join the military, but I made something of it. I liked the teacher that I had, I'm guessing, and I'm going to sign up for it on my own now. And it wasn't the worst thing, but, but it's not, it doesn't always go that way, but no, it doesn't. But, and sometimes you just, you, uh, you die off. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what happens, I guess. Um, but no, I think, you know, and sometimes you just gotta, yeah, I think that's a, yeah, just embracing, like kind of embrace the suck and just like, you know, keep adapting and be, and be willing to change too. And that's a huge, like huge thing to be successful. So word well anything else you got on your mind no i think i've i've squeezed it all out all right uh, we have one more week till till winter break for me hell yeah and uh the 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 heater is is out right now unfortunately oh in school Um, no at my house oh geez louise uh yeah we had we had our our house smelled like smoke on friday morning and Uh uh, turns out the old uh the old fan motor in the, in the furnace burned out. So, uh, and they did not have a, they did not have a replacement part. So we got to wait for them to order it tomorrow. So, um, yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to be like 25 degrees on Tuesday or Wednesday night. So hopefully we have that thing in by, by then. I'd say you could come, you know, stay with me (laughs) up there, but you know, the person I live with, they keep the thermostat like 60 degrees. So it's basically the same thing. Basically. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. we got ourselves a space heater, so well that's good. We and, and we got the gas fireplace, so we, we Gucci. Nice, glad to hear it. Yes, all right, sir. well we will see you guys all next time, and uh, looking forward to the next episode already. Have a good night. Take care.